Welcome to the DCCC Youth Podcast. This podcast is from our series Nutshells about the basic truths of our faith, and in it we talk about theology proper and the Trinity. We call it theology proper, and that's what we're talking about today. Theology proper is the study of God the Father. Like his theology can cover lots of different things. Like there's subcategories like eschatology, the study of end times, and, and it's all under a theology, the study of God. So theology proper is actually the study of God, like, and so hence the proper, um, because you can talk about lots of other things too. We're also going to cover Trinity. We might cover some more Trinity as we go along um, in our studies as well. Before I started start the video, I wanted to uh, talk about, <coughs> there's this study that came out it was a book called <coughs> Soul Searching. Recently, it was by Smith and Denton. It was these people they did these surveys of um, teenagers and like, what do you think of God? And the thing that they said, what do teenagers think of God? The overwhelming response was this: moralistic therapeutic deism is what teenagers, for the most part, believe. Any ideas what that means? No. Wait, I'm on it. Moralistic means what? Yeah, you're a good person because it's a good thing to do. Moralistic. Therapeutic? Therapy. Yeah, what does that mean? Um, help? <laughs> Essentially. Deism, there's the hard one. Deism is the hard one. What is deism? What kind of God? Yes, it is belief in a God. There's theism and there's deism. What would be the deism difference? Believe in more two gods. No, that would be dualism. Oh. <laughs> or, yeah, there could be a couple of them. Deism is the belief, uh, a lot of the founding fathers, most noticeably Thomas Jefferson was a deist, which means oh, that they believe okay. in... Yeah. It's, there's a god, but after he like, created everything, oh, yeah, he, he just like, let the world go as it is. That is so great. You got it right. Everyone clap for it. Yay, Rachel. Um, yeah, it's a lot of times people will say it's like a, a watchmaker god or something, like a guy who builds a watch and then just lets it go. You know, like he's built it and then he starts it and he lets it go. He doesn't do anything. So God creates and then is hands off. Um, so most teenagers, this is what they think of God. Uh, when they think about religion, they think about God, moralistic, i got to do good stuff. Um, I should do good stuff because that's good to do. Therapeutic, God is there, and he's my, like, divine cheerleader. He'll be there for when I want him to, but I don't really need to need him. And deism, that I, God cre- I do believe that God created me, but beyond that, whatever. I don't really think he relates to my everyday life. So essentially, what is this? Um, this uh, Matt and Sam, when we were talking about this, I guess, on Friday, is it's kind of like a, this is what people want God to be. When you think about it this way, moralistic, therapeutic deism, it's pretty much all the good parts. <laughs> and so, when they're like, um, when they think about God, they're like, yeah, I believe in God. Well, what kind of God? Um, he wants you to do good stuff. He's there when I need him, and that's about it. <laughs> um, so, this is what, what people think of God. Remember, um, there weren't too many of you here, I guess, when we did the review series, the worldview series. Dr. Brown made oh, this statement. He came to our school. See? He talked about, yeah, he talked about... Um, Worldview? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't yeah. he awesome? Yeah, and he, he came to our Bible class. He's so wise. Like, how to the Oh, yeah, yeah. Math major? Yeah. 
Um, no, no problem. He said, don't find a worldview that fits you. Find a worldview that fits the world. And so this is kind of a worldview that fits you. Honestly, affordably, like, thinking about teenagers, thinking about myself, everyone wants a God that's this way. The question, though, is what is God really like? Um, there's a video that I showed a couple weeks ago that I actually wanted to show again because I think it's really good. I think it's perfect for what we're studying now and when we begin thinking about this because we're starting to get into the deeper <coughs> theology, especially when we're talking about God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in the weeks to come. I think it's really good to refresh with this video because I think it's really good to remind us about how we should go about thinking about this. So that's um, kind of an introduction to that book you saw at the end. It's called Doug Gandhi. Very good book um, about basic truths about theology. Very simple, and I highly recommend it. I'm giving it to our graduates this year. So it's a really good book. Um, yeah. Where'd you find that video? Online. <laughs> that doesn't come what? up. That yeah. That doesn't come up when you search up Doug Down Deep. It should, yeah. If you put Doug Down Deep video. Okay. Um, so when we're looking at this, we're not quite getting here yet, but I should probably bring this up because some of you might be familiar with this symbol. Do you know what the symbol Trinity. is? Why is it the Trinity? Because, wait a minute. I don't know why, but there are four spaces in there. Why does, why does it represent Trinity? If there's only three. Oh, it's like three spaces and it's all at one. Yeah, the middle is four. It's three at one. Yeah, but it's three points. Point. 
Well, the thing about it is it is also used as a pagan symbol, <laughs> funnily enough. If I had, I don't have my Bible up here, but mine is, uh, my, I have an ESV, and it's got like four of these things on the front. It's also on the front of most of most King James Version Bibles, but it is also a, used for a pagan symbol and Wicca, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But it is pretty old. It's been used to represent the Trinity for a long time for obvious reasons. It's three and yet one. Um, and we're going to get to it in just a minute. There aren't really illustrations that can correctly illustrate the Trinity. It's pretty much impossible to come with, up with one that's not heretical in some way. How does it so, use the pagan symbol? What? How does it use the pagan uh, It's like, what is it? The, the Divine Mother, the Crone, and something in Wicca. Yeah. Um, if you guys, you guys shouldn't watch Charmed. <laughs> but if you do, that, the book that they have it actually has that on the front. As I said, it's also on the front of King James Version Bible. And so it's kind of one of those things, who used it first, we don't really know. But um, it is used for the Trinity, it has been used for hundreds of years to represent the Trinity. So we're thinking about theology proper, <coughs> what God is. In a way, you think about it and you're like, well, this is, how can we study this? <laughs> like, it's really difficult. And so the one thing I wanted to do, because... Um, I said, what do teens think of God? Moralistic, therapeutic theism. This is kind of the worldview that fits you, I think. Of course we all like this. But what does the Bible say about God? And I just wanted to list and correct some things and also define some words that you may have heard before so that we can understand some definitions. And just say, I think the best way to study God, if you will, is like, same thing as like when I, well, not when I first saw Rachel because I didn't follow the in love with her love at first sight, although it was the other way around. Um, um, when I first started to fall in love with Rachel um, I thought she was very pretty I still do (laughs) I think she's very pretty Um, but I know things about her I know things about how she looks and things about what she does and and really especially in like the crush phase it's really what you're doing you're like oh I just love the way he holds his books and walks down the hallway (laughs) you know stuff like that um, and you just notice these things, and you might not even necessarily, you know, know the deepest depths of their heart or whatever. But you just notice things, and I kind of wanted to do like that introduction to God, um, like what are things that we should know about Him? What does the Bible say about Him? And you can go so much deeper than this, but again, this is nutshells. This is not like roots or something like that. Nutshells. So we're trying to do this pretty quickly, and we also have to talk about the Trinity. Um, so God is. Creator. We are created by him as is everything. Now, oh, yeah. if April weren't late. I'm just kidding. Now, in this, in this case, um, because we're going to be talking about Trinity in just a second, we're not talking about Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're just talking God. And we'll get to this. This is so can be very confusing. Um, we're just talking, we just learned in the sermon that actually Jesus performed created the creative actions. All things are created by him and for him and all things hold together in him. So we learn. So, but anyway, God in general, he's creator. We're created by him. Everything is created by him. He's eternal. Now this one's going to blow your mind. I always grew up and I thought about eternal. I was like, wow, eternal is a long time. It's like forever. Like forever and eternal are synonyms. And I've learned after a while, I think that's not a good way to think about it. Um, because part of understanding God, you know, there's that thing that says, um, for God, 
a day is as a thousand, thousand, thousand years is as a day. I said it backwards at first. Um, and all this stuff, and like, well, God, how can we pray to you, and how can that really make a difference? And I think it's because we, as people, we're very temporal people. We think of things in time sense, like in a timeline. Like, today I did this. Yesterday I did this. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. And ten years ago I did this. And so we think of things in, in, in like, a timeline. Okay? But, think about this. God created time. He is eternal. He is outside of time. So let's say there's a line here. That's time. God is like the blackboard. <laughs> More than the blackboard. The point is, God is outside of time. So forever is, you know, when you say forever, it's like a really, really long time that never ends. Eternal is outside of time. Literally, there is no time. So when we pray to God, um, in all technicality, I suppose we could pray for, let's say we have a friend who we know is sick, and we pray for them, and we find out that they actually got better before we prayed for them. And our prayer could actually still have affected that. Because God is, I'm blowing your minds here, because God is outside of time. Everything essentially is always visible to him. He has a complete and total knowledge of everything because it's like he's looking at timeline on a piece of paper in a sense. And so when we talk about eternal, he is completely outside of time. He is controlled of controls time. He he sees everything as one picture. Everything in the entire history of time. Um, so that's when we whenever we talk about this, a lot of these things are going to like fry your brain. Um, Self-existent. He's the only being that is not created. We talked about that in reference to Jesus in the sermon again. Um, he's the only being that's self-existent. I was born. Christian was born. I saw a Christian be born. And little baby deer are born. And little baby snakes are hatched. They have a beginning. And something caused them to be. That something is God. Jesus. He is self-existent. The only anything that can support itself. All things hold together through Jesus, as we said. Okay, now the big words. Omnipresent. Always, everywhere, present. So, um, this is like when I said in my sermon, that kid in the camp who was like, you could see God, and God's here, and here, and here, and there's all these faces everywhere of God. Yeah, well, we can't see God, not like that. But he is always, everywhere, present. Why? For the same reason that God is outside of time. God created everything. Now, this is different than saying everything is God. That's called... Uh, what? Come on. Jesus. We'll view people. No. Oh. Rachel? Sorry, again. When everything is God. Oh, that's even my, even my own wife. Yes? Pantheism. That's when everything is God. The, the chalkboard is is God. The floor is God. My pants are God. I am God. You are God. That's pantheism. This is this is different. God is everywhere, but everything is not God. It is very separate. He is creator, so that means that everything isn't God, but God is everywhere. Omnipotent, all-powerful. How's all-powerful? He can do everything that is consistent with his character. Uh, a lot of times people try and trip people, you up and they'll say, if God's all-powerful, can he lie? <laughs> can he, you know, like all these things. 
Well, God has character, and we're learning about it right now. He can do everything and has the complete ability to do things that are consistent with his character. If God contradicted his own character, everything would cease to be. There's actually a movie about it. Um, it's really irreverent. It's called Dogma. It's got, um, I think it's got Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in when they were super young. And there are these fallen angels, and they're trying to... Um, to go through the door of this church or something because if they do it it'll prove God wrong and the entire universe will fall apart but so it's really a reverent movie and it, it makes a lot of bad jokes but the, the foundation of it is actually quite true where their whole idea their master plan is to prove God wrong and if God is wrong then everything will cease to be because he can't be inconsistent with his character so interesting thoughts very deep thoughts omniscient he is all knowing this probably in a way, has to do with the fact that he's outside of time. Um, because he can know everything, see everything as one. Um, holy, he's completely different. Other. A lot of times people just describe holy as other. Because there's not really a good way to describe it. Um, he's just more, in compl- so different we can't even conceive of it. And when we start to try and think about some of these things, our brains just, like, blow up. <laughs> um, as we'll see in just a moment, moment when we talk about the Trinity. Um, imminent and transcendent. These are used a lot. God's imminence and transcendence. Imminent, he is near, and transcendent, he is far. This is more like our relationship to him. In a sense that, that God is near, he is always everywhere present, he is near to us, and yet he is holy, he is far from us. And throughout the history of the church, there have been people who have gone too far on either side. Um, I think a lot of really traditional churches go the transcendent route where God is holy he will smite you you know like and you're just always living under fear and threat from God because he's so great and so holy he's just dangling on like um, this isn't a terribly great example but people always use it is the sinners in the hands of an angry God you know that Jonathan Edwards sermon he's real famous for you're like a spider dangling by a thread over a fire and so people that's the transcendent aspect. God is holy, and, and you can't understand him completely. You can't completely know him. But at the same time, he's also imminent. He is our Father. He is our Savior. He is all those things. And so this is a, just a really short list. Um, we could go on for a long time. But these are like, when you think about the attributes of God... Um, you usually come up with things like this. Now, there's a whole other kind of thing that we didn't talk about. Can anyone think about what it is? This is like attributes, but Rachel has attributes, physical things that are true of her, but she also has something else. What is that? It has to do with personality. Yeah, character trait. So we didn't talk anything about God's character trait. And... You can define them in God. God is just. He is completely just. It it stems from his holiness. He cannot do something that is unjust. So, for example, when we talk about holy, this great quote, the love of God is only wonderful when we completely understand his transcendence. Let's say a terrorist tried to blow up the White House, and um, he goes to trial, and the judge is like, Oh, he's innocent. <laughs> Everyone would be like, that judge is either like whacked out or he was paid off. <laughs> um, 
and it's the same is true of God. Like we would be like that is so unjust. He just he tried to kill the president and like all these other people, and we recognize that that is unjust. Same way, God cannot let sin go unpunished. Exodus nineteen, eight, something like that. Um, I'm probably wrong on that, but it says in Exodus around that point, God cannot let the guilty go unpunished. And so this is a big deal when you understand God's holiness and His transcendence. That's when you can really appreciate His love, because you understand how different and how far below you are. So God is just. He is love. John. First John says God is love, um, and all kinds of things. Uh, what's, what else? God is merciful. There's so many. So there's two kinds of things, and that's really theology proper is kind of thinking about things like that. Um, so Trinity, are you trying to check my versing? Did I find the correct one? Oh, come on. I'll, I'll figure out what it is. I will find the correct one. Not right now, but as as I'm talking, I will think of it. Um, so the quiz grass is green true Greg is male true oh thank you (laughs) did anyone put false (laughs) (coughs) you are a human being true true you're currently in the DCCC youth room true the answer to every question on this quiz is T false false why because that was false what? But that's only false if you make it false. Exactly. So but if you I put true, it would be true. Yes. In a way, you can't answer that last question until you answer it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Because every answer can't be true until you circle an answer there. And once you circle false, then it's not true. You understand, right? Yeah. Is your mind about to blow up? No. Actually, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you stop to think about it, you you really cannot answer that question until after you answer it. And then once you do that, it's no. <laughs> you can think about it for a thousand years, and then your brain will blow. That's the point. That's the point. When we're talking about Trinity, I have a quote at the bottom, I believe, of the page. Can someone read that? That's pretty harsh. But it kept coming up when I was thinking about this and studying it. Um, And I wanted to have some kind of illustration. The thing about this quiz that's so great, though, is the first four questions, they're so easy to understand. I hope. Maybe question number two. I don't know. Um, Grass is green. Yeah. Um, Greg is male. Yes, that's so obvious. You're a human being. Yes. You're currently in the DCCC youth room. Now, I suppose you could get philosophical about that one and be like, what does it mean to be? Are we ever truly in some place? You know, like, but for the most part, those are really obvious. And when we talk about the Trinity, your mind is going to like, it is officially called a mystery of the church. That is, the church, the Catholic Church in particular, has declared it a mystery, meaning that it is impossible to understand. Like, I- impossible. You can't. And so you just kind of say, we're going to describe it as best we can. And in a lot of ways, you would describe it by saying what it isn't. But you can spend, you like lose your mind if you try. But the important thing is, just like this quiz, you get to the last one, and you're like, oh, my brain just blew up. Because I can't answer this question. And no matter what I do, I can't really answer the question. The other four are so obvious. 
So we study theology proper. We can say God is this, God is this. We know this about God, this about God, this about God. So let's not get hung up on the fact that the Trinity is beyond comprehension. That's actually a good thing. For me, it confirms me in my faith. Because I don't want to believe in a faith that I completely understand everything. Because to me, that tells me that a man invented it. Why in the world anyone would ever invent the Trinity is beyond me. If whoever, if someone did invent it, then he's I'm sure he's in an insane asylum. Because your brain, like, like no one would invent this and be like, okay, everyone, believe this. <laughs> um, and so for me, it's very confirming. But let's not ignore all the things we can know about God for these things, which can like make our brains blow up. Um, so anyway, I had this great picture. Um, maybe. I have this great picture. It's one of the books I had for my <laughs> my class last week, or last semester. I took a class on the history of the ancient church, and I was kind of hoping to pit you against each other and have some of you think the answer was false, and some of you think the answer was true, and have you attack each other, um, because that's really what's going on in this picture, and I love it so much because they're both pointing at each other, and he's like, "You're a heretic," and the other guy's like, "No, you're a heretic." And there was a lot of this going on in the early church as they were trying to figure stuff out. Um, but as I said in the sermon just previously, like there were a, they spent a lot of time and people went to the Bible and they figured this stuff out. Um, and this is really going to start to get deep here now. Um, there are some major heresies, things that are not true, that pop up a lot. And so, like I said, in a lot of ways you can define the Trinity by what it is not, and so there's one called modalism. This is the belief that God shows himself in three different ways, sometimes as the Father, sometimes as the Son, and sometimes as the Holy Spirit. So when God creates, he's the Father. When God dies on the cross, he's the Son. And when he comes into believers, he's the Holy Spirit. That is wrong. Okay, so um, we can say that this is not true. That's called modalism, that God works in modes. So the three part of God isn't always true. It's just that he works in different ways. So sometimes he's one, sometimes he's the other, sometimes he's the other. Not true. Tritheism. Belief we have three gods who all share similar nature, but not the exact same nature. That is, the nature of God is either distinguished or divided, which destroys the unity of God. So when we think about this, I think we have the tendency to be tritheists today. Um, when I, I know my tendency is to be a... a Tritheist. When I think about God and I think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, my tendency is more than more often to think of it like three gods, more than one God in three persons, because that is so incomprehensible. You follow me here? But that is again, that's tritheism. If you if you go too much on the distinguishing part, it's tritheism. If you go too much on the unified part, then you have a whole other set of problems. And so, just like that symbol is incomprehensible, like it's one line, but it's three parts, and it's weird. Like, it it really is just very hard. And then there's another thing, and this happens a lot. Subordinationalism. Oh, I love the words with these things. What that means is it's like tritheism, but it has its own category. Um, If you are a subordinationalist, you are also a tritheist. You believe the three, the more on the end of three kind of thing. But what you mean, think about it, is that God the Father is like the highest and God the Son, Jesus, is like subordinate underneath. He's not the same. He's lesser. And then the Spirit might be lesser or the same as Jesus. Um, So those are three things. So when we think about this, I have um, 
we think about Trinity this is such a deep subject brain Um, there's three important words relationship essence and function I have um, two questions here Athanasius and Arius I love Athanasius' name anyone know who Athanasius and Arius are? God, no. Anyone know who Athanasius is? No. No? Um, he's very important. In fact, we have this friend and her her um, nephew is named Athanasius because the parents so respected this guy, Athanasius, that they named their son after him. That's pretty intense because Athanasius is just a pretty intense name. Um, so... As we're thinking about this, Athanasius is in like the 300s. I said in my sermon, for about the first 200 years, the big issue was the relationship between the Father and the Son. Athanasius, he was standing for what I basically just told you, that the Father and Son are completely equal. Um, That the Son is not created by the Father, he's not lesser than the Father. They're completely equal in essence, but different in function. Got it? So this relates, and I'll get back to this in a minute. For example, I am a man. Rachel is a woman. In essence, we are both humans. We are the same. In function, we are different. Does that make sense? Okay, so in essence, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all the same. They are of the same nature, God. In function, they are different. (laughs) <laughs> I love looking at my wife because she's like um, so anyway Athanasius he stood for this he was very strong on basically I feel what the Bible says he stood for this truth especially in Colossians what we just went through is such a big passage for this and he was actually exiled four times for his beliefs and for standing for this because public opinion kind of went back and forth about it and so he would either be like the supreme hero of all the people or he would be exiled to like Siberia and he was exiled like four times in his life and things just (laughs) didn't really go very well for him Um, famous saying it was Athanasius against the world and the world against Athanasius um, because of this stormy relationship well his arch nemesis you know there's like um, Spider-Man and the Green Goblin you know, you have all these superhero arch nemesis. Well, his arch nemesis was a guy named Arius. And in 325, this heresy, Arianism, was, dis- was put to death by something we call the Nicene Creed. <laughs> wow, church history. <laughs> right? Um, so basically what Arius said is he said that he believed in subordination, that Jesus was less than God. He said, <laughs> here's, a, here's some good Greek words for you. He said that Jesus' nature was homoousios to God. So there, his, he was like God, but not the same. Homoi. Athanasius said homoousios. He is exactly the same, like homogenous, you know, like same. So very, very important distinction here. Because Arius said, he's like the Father. So what did that mean? It meant that Jesus was created, he was less than the Father, and that really, the practical outworking of it was a complete change in how they thought about salvation and redemption. Because you could be like Jesus. He was created, and he was like God, but not exactly, but he was really good, and what he accomplished didn't really bring salvation for you. It allowed you to bring salvation to yourself. 
So big difference, right? Pretty big difference. So why is it important? Well, what came out of it is that Arius stood up for the truth. He pointed from the Bible and he said, this is what it says. And ultimately, after a long time and going back and forth a lot, people settled on this and they say, look, Athanasius, we understand what you're saying. And so we're going to say this, we're going to write it down in a creed, and everyone's going to believe this. And so the reason that we don't have to do all this hard work today and figure out all these mind-blowing things is one of the reasons is Athanasius. He did some good, hard work. He's a great guy. He's a hero of the faith because he stood for this. And so now we can say that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal and the fullness of God fully dwells in Jesus and all this stuff. And we understand that because of Athanasius. The Cappadocian Fathers. Cappadocia. Cappadocia. There are some good guys. Cyril, Cyril and Gregory of Nyssa and Gregory of Mopsutia? No, 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 no. Wow. I'm, I'm screwing myself up. Anyway, three guys. And they did even more work because really Athanasius, he stood for the relationship between the Father and the Son. And then the Cappadocian Fathers came and they added the Holy Spirit because really people had kind of forgotten about the Holy Spirit. And them and especially Augustine, who maybe you've heard of, he's a bit more famous, really stood for the Holy Spirit and said, Holy Spirit, same thing. He's equal with the Father and the Son. Um, And there's lots of lots of wonderful colorfully named heresies like Apollinarianism, Sibelianism, and all kinds of things, where it's really so hard to understand this. But let's talk about here. The, really, the Cappadocian Fathers, they used this word relationship to understand the Trinity. They said, okay, the Son is eternally generated from the Father. So, <coughs> this is going to blow your mind again. So let's say, we think of Christian is my son, Right? But if Jesus is eternal and God the Father is eternal, how can Jesus be God's son? Because he is. What? Like, if he's not born, how can he be God's son? My brain like going to blow up yet. Um, he said, they said that the son is eternally generated from the Father. So he's always coming from the Father. C.S. Lewis talked about this. Um, so let's... Use as an example here. Rachel has her Bible on the table. And this Bible is on top of it. Okay? The relationship to each other. This on top of the other one. This one is below. Okay? We understand that relationship. Now imagine that those books were eternally that way. I know you can't really exactly do that. But let's imagine they were. That's what it's talking about. The relationship between the Father and Son. The Son is eternal, but He's always generated from the Father. They are always in that relationship. He's not born. He's not, like, created. They're always like that. And the same thing is with the Spirit. The relationships are always eternally the same. Um, so it doesn't change. When, like, when, when um, God the Son became Jesus, He didn't, like, become the Son at that point when He was Jesus. He was always God's Son. And that God begets Him. He generates Him. It's very complex. Um, So anyway, relationship is very, very important. Essence, we already talked about, and function. And Augustine, again, a very important guy, he saw this stuff everywhere. Um, Like the three and yet one stuff. And like I said, 
One thing, there's uh, a view of men and women called complementarianism, where it basically says what I said, that Rachel and I, in essence, are the same. I'm not better than her because I'm a man, but our functions are different. In a lot of churches, this is why they don't allow women to preach. It's like the foundation of that, that women aren't lesser because they don't preach. Their role in the church and in the life of Christianity is different. Um, and so... A lot of people say that God created the, the sexes um, in order to help us understand this. You know, you can conjecture a lot. There's a lot of conjecture. So, some, time for some great illustrations and how they are wrong. <laughs> okay, so the Trinity is like three-in-one shampoo. Right? Uh, it's either modalism or tritheism. People, I've heard all of these before. So I'm not just making these up. Like, it's shampoo, it's conditioner, and it's... What's the third one? I know that. There's a third one, I know it. But, um... What? I don't know. Moisturizing? (laughs) I don't know. Um, It's saying that the shampoo performs three functions, but is a different substance. But you can still break down all the elements. There is conditioner in there. There is shampoo in there. And so you can separate them. God, even though those functions are different, you cannot separate the essence. They are of the same thing. Um, the Trinity is like an egg. Definitely a tritheism, which we talked about before. You can clearly see the shell, the yolk, and the white. So, although we say egg, there's three distinguishable parts. This is <laughs> and I know this is so like hard, but it's not really the best illustration. Only in the sense could it, it make sense in that we call it one thing. If you don't think of an egg, but you just say the word egg, maybe it could work. Um, because there are three distinct parts. The Trinity is like water. This is modalism. There's ice, steam, and liquid, but it can't be ice, steam, and liquid all at the same time. It has to be one of those things. So that's a problem. And then the Trinity is like a man who is simultaneously father, son, and husband. <laughs> well, let's say I'm a father, son, and a husband. But at the same time, it, you know, it's like I perform those different functions at different times by my actions. And so that's a problem. And also, it's just like I'm still just one... Ugh, my brain is going to explode. Okay. Right, exactly. Exactly. There you go. So, now that you've sufficiently had your brains turned to mush, that's the Trinity. Now, the reason I said what I said before is exactly this reason. We just spent, like, 15 minutes, like, talking about things that are so incomprehensible. My brain is screaming for me to stop. But, theology proper, Trinity is so important, I wanted to cover it because it is so, so important. Because one of the biggest problems in the church today that I found in talking to people is wrong understandings of the Trinity, whether it's that they think Jesus is created, or God is better, or the Holy Spirit is like, what's going on with the Holy Spirit? Does he even do anything? You know, like, or the Holy Spirit's better than all of them? This is a big problem, and it's worth talking about. That is a nutshell there. But, just like in the quiz, that last question, like, blew your mind, but the other four were simple. You understood them. It was very clear. Same way with God. There's so much we can just say about this is what God is. He is just. He is love. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. We know all those things. And it is important to understand the Trinity, but it is also important to focus and understand the parts of God that are easily um, known.